Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. How do you become an oligarch? Is there, is there like a, <laughs> a standard, like a billionaire? Pete Thamel. There's a formula like the old BCS. It's like the Massey Index. <laughs> <laughs> and SI's Pat Forty. The oligarch index. Oh, my gosh. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, welcome to the podcast. Big week ahead. We got multiple big games. Cocktail party, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pac-12 and the Mac. Welcome to the swim swimming pool, the pool party. They're jumping in. We're finally coast to coast in this country playing college football. Arizona State, USC, pretty good little game out west. So it is good. As we've said uh, throughout, we were appreciative of those early weeks of college football when we were getting even 25, 28 games, but it is best when everyone is playing. Just adds to the absurdity, the excitement, the whole bit. So glad that is happening, and this is a big week. Uh, so I'm immediately going to go to the negative and talk about a team who isn't playing. <laughs> there you go. Got to stay on brand. Got to stay on brand, Pat. <laughs> Wisconsin Badgers, uh, second game in a row now canceled. Uh, Purdue. Football activity suspended. Uh, it reported as of Wednesday, as we tape this, 27 active cases inside the program. We don't know the specifics, so we got no idea when some of these go off the board. Uh, you know, there's a lot of details we don't know. We have heard that Paul Chris, the sweatshirt, Coach Sweatshirt, will be back this week. So that's very good. Presumes he he, he handled this uh you know, at least fairly to extremely well. But Wisconsin, 1-0, the last, <laughs> the, the contender, the potential roadblock for Ohio State in the Big Ten, is now missed two games and has at Michigan on the 14th. I mean, we got no idea. Do they play? Do they not? Here is the details of the Big Ten. There's no bye weeks. There's no way to reschedule. Uh, this is a tightrope, and with the Badgers have fallen off. In order to compete in the Big Ten championship game, a team must play six games. The Badgers would have to come back from Michigan to make the six and not miss any later, which could mean another team canceling on them. So I don't know if this is going to happen. Now, if it's all hell breaks loose, they also have this rule. If the average number of Big Ten games falls below six, then teams must play no less than two fewer than the Big Ten, at blah, 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 blah. Badgers, though, are on the brink now of a pretty promising season just not happening and the Big Ten potentially just being in a mess of not having their possibly second best team play their best team. Not not great. And, you know, the only good side I can see of this is Wisconsin's the only team in the Big Ten that's had a problem uh, so far. Yeah, it's a mess. The problem is we have discussed with a setup that provides you absolutely no safety net in terms of, of cushion, in terms of open dates. So this is what everybody signed up for. And, you know, I mean, the game against Purdue this weekend would have been an important game. Purdue is 2-0. and uh, The winner of that game, depending what happens with Northwestern, those are the three undefeated teams in the West. But the winner of that game, you know, is, is at the top of that division. And, you know, very viable. And you take that game out of the mix, how, what's the impact going to be? 
we will see. But, it, you know, it, it could be very obviously, even if, even if Wisconsin gets in the rest of its games, are they going to have their quarterbacks? We know that Graham Mertz, you know, was the big star uh, in the first game. He tested positive. He's going to be out 21 days. That took him out of both of these last two games. Would he be out the next one, too, when they play Michigan, if they play Michigan? His backup also tested positive. So he would be out. So they would have been playing a fourth-string quarterback. They may still be playing a fourth-string quarterback because Jack Cohn, who was going to be the starter, injured his foot before the season. So, you know, Wisconsin's season has just kind of been star-crossed from the get-go. And, you know, what the ultimate impact of that is, we don't know. But, uh, I mean, if you're the Big Ten, you're sitting there saying, yeah, what, what exactly are we – going to be able to put on the table for a Big Ten championship game at this point. Yeah, I I mean, the image, Pat, of a like uh, Wisconsin left tackle walking on a high wire, right, is like one of the <laughs> one of the more amusing ones we can we can come up with right now. But that's that's exactly where that's exactly where Wisconsin is right now. And uh, early on, when the Big Ten made this decision to go to go daily rapid testing, the NFL had had like the pretty much the entire preseason obviously they didn't play games but they had the entire preseason then they had like three weeks pretty much of like no issues right remember the nfl started off almost flawlessly and daily rapid testing seemed like it was i don't want to say infallible but it seemed like there was that was the best plan right and that's about when the big 10 came through and said that's what they were going to do and i think there was a false confidence built in daily rapid testing in that space because of the, the success that the NFL had had. Now, obviously, the NFL has had issues. They haven't been as uh, pervasive as college, but they've certainly been significant. And uh, they've had to their their Jenga board has uh, fallen over a few times just like that. And so I, I really think that if we had gotten a more true snapshot of the issues that would come with the NFL, the Big Ten would have figured out a way to work in a bye week to try to to try to be more amendable to some of this stuff, which is now obviously inevitable. Like the Pac-12 in their shortened schedule, like they're going to be issues. It is inevitable. That's that's all all we've learned from this COVID rattled season is that disruption is the norm. And so, you know, here here we are like hurtling in and, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan could be fascinating. My understanding is that Mertz could be back for that game. But like, I don't know if he'd be able to practice like and, and so. Like, that's a problem. Like, you need to practice football to be, like, to be pretty good at it. And this is not a Wisconsin team that can just line up and bowl you over. They're built a little bit different, too, now. They don't have the elite, elite, elite offensive line they've had in other years. They certainly don't have the elite tailback we've we've seen from them. So, yeah, like, Wisconsin right now, and we've had a new program. It remembers Notre Dame a couple weeks ago. Like, a new program has sort of been the the COVID focus of of the sport. That is now Wisconsin. They, they're just got their fingers crossed that they can get to six to be eligible. And then there's, of course, all these doomsday scenarios of if they go this record and beat a team and they go this record. And how do you pick like how do you pick the winner, like tiebreaker stuff like that is that is we are headed to the mess that we expected. Imagine them. And I don't even want to get into this hypothetical because but but imagine them. I guess if they went seven and oh, it beat Ohio State. They get in the I mean, when they get in the playoff at seven and oh. <laughs> or <laughs> you beat Ohio State, where, you should get in the playoff where other teams are playing yeah, yeah. 11 games and getting in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some of this or or let's say they that whatever these little clauses, I can't figure this stuff out too much math, yeah. but a it, train leaves Houston traveling yeah. 35 miles. <laughs> I, ate, <laughs> I ate a cheese curd in Racine <laughs> at five o'clock. <laughs> what time? Um, no, I, I, you know, I mean, like you're five and oh, are you in the I mean, what? Oh, yeah. man, it's anyway. <laughs> The only good thing I can say is they're the only one that's really struggled. But this is this is the Big Ten's dilemma, and here we are. So Pac-12, uh, welcome, and um, yeah, stay stay in your room. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to be the Badgers. Uh, all right, let's talk about games that are actually happening. And uh, the big one is number one Clemson at number four Notre Dame. I believe they are. Or are they number three? Yeah, yeah. number four. Because right, Alabama, then Ohio State. Yep. All right, Irish have not beaten a top five team since 1993 when uh, Florida State showed up. The blemish on an otherwise stellar run at Notre Dame for Brian Kelly. He can beat, he can beat really good teams if they're Michigan or a Michigan State or a USC or a Stanford or periodically whoever they come up with. 
But when they get to these big dogs in the Southeast, it ain't happening. Sometimes they're close, but they can't get over that bump. 2019, they lost uh, at Georgia. Last, it was a great game right down to the final series. Uh, they got crushed by Clemson in the 18 playoffs, 30-3. to three. They lost to Georgia again in 17, one-point game in Notre Dame. They got crushed by Miami in 17. They lost in double overtime to Texas, which really didn't even turn out to be that good of a team in 16. They lost by two at Clemson in like a monsoon. They got beat pretty good by Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl in 15. They lost by four to Florida State in 14. It goes on and on and on. Can this be different? And I'll start with you, Pete. How important is it for Brian Kelly to get one of these wins against the true elite that's just eluded him in otherwise building Notre Dame back to a really, really good program, just not a truly elite program? Yeah, it, it's interesting, Dan, because you can take it from uh, from two perspectives, right? Like. I was there uh, in the sputtering embers of the Charlie Weiss era when UConn ran like 18 consecutive stretch plays on Notre Dame. And uh, I was working at the New York Times at the time. And I remember uh, I called the office. They're like, yeah, they're going to fire him. You might as well just like stick around campus. And so like it was like that was a low. I mean, UConn, imagine the bonuses Randy Edsel would have got, right? Like UConn just ran over Notre Dame. Like it was a bad program in a bad place. So to, you know, if you had told Notre Dame fans, we are going to build, you know, you, the next coach is going to build up over time to a program where you are consistently going to be ranked in the top 10, top 15. You are going to occasionally be able to punch in the top three, top five space like everybody would have signed up because the previous 20 years, and I'm sure Pat endured a lot of this too early on. It's like, can Notre Dame be elite? Can they compete? Can they do all that? Those questions obviously dog that program. So here we are. They are right on the cusp of like super elite, right? And uh, I actually like am, am doing one of my breakdowns uh, for uh, for later this week on Yahoo, where I like talk to ten coaches and assistants who played them and ask like the question. And it's it you know, can they beat Clemson? Now, obviously, it's a different deal with Clemson, and we'll get to that because because uh, Trevor Lawrence is out. But like people feel like this Notre Dame program right now, where it is, especially on their lines, especially on the offensive line, but also on the defensive line, and definitely with their tight ends. People gawked at their tight ends, like they were like there was like. There was like jealousy and FOMO on the other end of the line. Like people feel like Notre Dame is kind of there. So I I can't sit here and say having like lived through Notre Dame pulling itself up by the bootstraps and reestablishing itself that it's this like huge black mark against Brian Kelly because they hadn't done it for so long. That said, like they know it. it, it it's it's been interesting to hear Kelly be a little defensive about it, you know, pointing out we have a 22-game home winning streak. Uh, I believe they have a 12-game winning streak, 22-game home winning streak, 12-game winning streak. Like, Notre Dame's all signs are really good, and they need that one sort of marquee victory to, 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 to flip the switch. And I think they have a really good chance, and more importantly, coaches who are way smarter than me think they have a really good chance of getting it on Saturday. Pat? Yeah, it was interesting listening to Kelly's Zoom call on Monday because there was a little bit of defensiveness, defending of the record. Uh, he brought up several times that they are 29 and three over the last 32 games and they have won 12 in a row. And those are great things. I mean, that, that puts you among the elite in the sport, but one of the interesting things about college football is there's always stages of elite and the ultimate stage is really a two team stage. It's Clemson. That's Alabama who have been there and won championships recently. Even Ohio state isn't quite at that level because they haven't won a championship since 2014. Uh, Notre Dame is a notch below that, or maybe two notches below. They've been to the playoff. They've had some good seasons, but they've also gotten housed in the playoff and housed in the BCS championship game. And people remember those games. You know, do they have the firepower to beat those teams? I, I, I don't really think so. But I mean, could they win this game? Yeah, they're they're playing at home. They're playing a true freshman quarterback who's making his second career start. They're a good team. They could they could win this game. One of the things about this game is also. The loser isn't out of anything. You know, you can lose this game and still have a, a playoff path uh, pretty easily. So uh, from that standpoint, it's not do or die. But from Brian Kelly's standpoint of what's the one thing I need on my resume 
to really kind of just cement it. It is to win games like this. And Clemson comes to town. You have a decent chance here. Uh, this is one where I think they they definitely feel some urgency to win. I think Brian Kelly's felt some urgency about it. He thinks this team's really good. He does. You can tell in some of the things he said uh, throughout. You know, I mean, one of the reasons he really wanted to push to play through some of the COVID situations they had and not even being in a conference to get into the ACC and play, I think he felt very invested that this is one of, if not his best team at Notre Dame. Well, they certainly have had their moments when they're really good. But not, uh, and they've, you know, they're they've got the talent, they've got the experienced quarterback, and all that. Uh, I just wonder. I, I am completely with you, but both of you. I mean, I remember the, it was decades of Notre Dame will never be good again. Notre Dame still thinks it's black and white TV and all that. And Notre Dame has to join the Big Ten, and and I always was like, no. Once you get the right guy, you're good. That's true yeah. about any program. I mean, mm-hmm. Ohio State struggled. Texas. There's times you go, how the hell could you not be good at Texas? Oh, give them, give them time. Alabama wasn't that good until Nick Saban came along. So you get it. You use that thing. I mean, Notre Dame fan that's angry at Brian Kelly is crazy. They will miss Brian Kelly when he eventually goes. I mean, he gets good players. He occasionally gets a great one. You know, it's Notre Dame. You're not, you're just really hard to recruit at that Clemson, Georgia Alabama level and so but it, it's been frustrating they've, they've been blown out and they've come close they just haven't quite got it so certainly I don't think it's a referendum on it I think Brian Kelly's done an amazing job I think he's probably maxed out what you can do at Notre Dame but a win over a Clemson like this another playoff appearance something like that would uh would certainly break be a big thing this game what do you think is the key for for each team in this uh, on Saturday night Pat I'll start with you key defensively for Notre Dame is to to mess with DJ Uyunglele he's a great player great talent showed that right away but again true freshman second career start against a good defense and Notre Dame's thing I'll be really interested to see Notre Dame's thing this year especially with Clark Lee who's a really good coordinator has been kind of a Ben, don't break, let the other team make mistakes. It's not a, you know, hellfire blitz them, you know, rack up the sacks and the tackles for loss and that sort of thing and and force the turnovers. It's been more the other way. It is to limit big plays. Uh, They have allowed very few big plays. They've been really good in the red zone, really good on third down. So... You know, do they do they try to heat up the freshman or do they try to drop into some disguised coverages and make him make some throws he didn't want to make or make some reads he's not ready to make? I don't know what the answer is there, but I think Notre Dame's defense will be able to give him, you know, a, a real challenge. Offensively, you know, kind of the, the other side of it, that Notre Dame hasn't had been very explosive, especially in the passing game. Now, they started to get that untracked uh, the last game, last two maybe. But they they really weren't making many big plays throwing the ball. They're going to have to be able to do that. They got to protect Ian Book, and he can scramble. He's shifty and everything. But Ian Book got beaten up pretty badly by Clemson a couple of years ago in the playoff. Uh, they need to give him some time and see if they can and stretch the field a little bit. Otherwise, Brent Venables is just going to stack the box and come after him. Couple things that are that are really interesting here. Uh, Pat just brought up Venables. Kind of a fun little like. Young Jedi versus old maestro matchup here. You got Tommy Reese, who will perpetually look like he's 24, but he's the he's first year play caller for Notre Dame. We obviously remember him as the tremendously successful backup who they always tried to out recruit and he just kept coming in and winning games. So this is Tommy Reese's first like big stage as a coordinator. And look, Notre Dame is limited. Like there's no other way to say it. Ian Book is who he is. He's a very good college quarterback, but he does not have that diamondism we've talked about that real ability to push the ball down the field in part because there isn't that like one tick of elite arm strength. And the other part is they don't have the field stretchers at receiver. They are very limited in outside skill, a a notch below even what they have been. So 
it'll be interesting to see the creativity of of getting the tight ends involved. I really think if Notre Dame's going to win, we're going to see a lot from Tommy Tremble, who is just a vicious blocker uh, in the tight end thing. Like NFL people I've talked to love Tommy Tremble. Like they really think he brings an edge and a two-way guy in tight end. The other guy that uh, some opposing coordinators I talked to this week raved about, then they think he can be the next great Notre Dame tight end is Michael Mayer. He's a, he's a six foot five freshman who 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 looks the part. So that's that's one of the matchups. The on the on the other side of the ball, DJ Uyunglele, I really feel like brings a lot, has a lot of attention. Can they keep him in the pocket and make him a quarterback and make sure they don't hurt him with the legs? I feel like watching DJ against BC on Saturday, he has that big arm and there's going to be big game adrenaline. Does he let one go a little too hard? goes over receivers' heads and gets picked off. Like, like, can he avoid that critical mistake? Because if you have the critical mistake of, of, of holding the ball too high on the mesh to Travis Etienne and it gets returned 97 yards for a touchdown, you lose to Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame behind that elite offensive line, I even had one opposing defensive coach tell me they thought this Notre Dame line was as good as the elite line they had a few years ago with Nelson and McGlinchey. And again, I kind of winced at that because that was a really good line. But his argument was the way they play together with the complement of the tight ends, they're just as dominant, if not more, up front. So Notre Dame's not going to win this game in a shootout. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I mean, Notre Dame's first drive against Georgia Tech on Saturday, they took like 11 minutes off the clock. Now, the weakness of Clemson, if Notre Dame's going to win, their defensive front really has to go through that interior three. Guard center guard for Clemson is, now these guys aren't bad players, but they're just like, regular run-of-the-road ACC players. So if Notre Dame's front can exploit that, pressure DJ, force him into some decisions, maybe some bad decisions, that's how that's how Notre Dame... There's a clear path for Notre Dame to win, and, and it, it starts there because that also gets into, like, can you bottle up ATN, who, uh, again, we on, love ATN on the podcast here. I've picked him to win the Heisman. Um, I really think he's he's a great player. But that that's going to be their focus is to bottle up ATN and then it, it, it make DJ play with their arms. Now, against BC, Clemson didn't have Ladson and they didn't have Nagata, two of their better outside receivers in a year where they obviously lost T. Higgins the, to the NFL and Justin Ross to, uh, to a scary injury. So there's also... It's crazy to say about Clemson considering the, you know, assembly line of first round picks they've had at receiver. They are actually limited in the diamondism they have on the outside to stretch the field. So fascinating game. I think it'll be a close game. I'm I'm fired up. Let, let me play devil's advocate here because I think this was an interesting question. One of the one of the coaches brought up to me the other night. Let me let me pose two questions to the group here. You guys saw a lot of Phil Jerkovic on Saturday for BC. He, he has become one of the better passers in the country. He can push the ball down the field. Like if one coach said to me, if Notre Dame has him, they're a different team. Are we going to look back on on this Ian Book Dracovic thing and maybe think there was a there something got overlooked there? And the second is, how do we handle a Notre Dame team that beats Clemson now without Trevor Lawrence, but then potentially loses to them in the ACC title game? Well, the uh, Dracovic book thing i mean it was a tight battle but ian book has just been you know i mean it's a little bit of a surprise ian book was like a three-star recruit from california kovic was a, a four-star much more heralded from western pa was supposed to win that ian book just beat him out for whatever reason um and obviously it was you know close this wasn't this wasn't like a, a bust of a recruit kovic could play in the nfl i mean he's really good but your book does a lot of things well, and he's won a lot of games. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the end, you 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 go back and 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 regret that. But I don't think it's anything that Ian Book has done. You know, not well enough as, as a thing. Uh, I don't know, Pat. What do you think? I mean, to me, it's somewhat similar. Maybe not as dramatic, but similar to the Justin Fields Jake Fromm situation at Georgia, where you have an older established experienced starter who's done a good job and the other guy is coming along and the other guy's more talented but he hasn't quite played the way the older maybe more limited starter has and so you stick with the starter and then you lose the more talented guy uh you know that's obviously what happened with fields and i think in retrospect obviously justin fields is far better than jake from little closer here 
But I do think Phil Jerkovic is a better talented quarterback than Ian Book. But Ian Book, he's a tough guy to get out of the lineup because he's won a lot of games and he's played pretty well most of the time. So, you know, that's one of those. It's one certainly a Notre Dame fans, you know, fan, fans everywhere. They love the backup quarterback and they love Phil Jerkovic. And they're probably sitting there watching him saying, hmm, kind of wish we had him this weekend. What was the second question? The second question was a Notre Dame win Saturday, lost in the ACC oh, right. title game. Like, is it like, is are they better than undefeated since? How do we handle that Notre Dame scenario? I don't know. I mean, if Notre Dame wins this game, there. I mean, the, really, the question becomes: Do they just have to reach the ACC championship game? Is what essentially would be the, and the the rest of the schedule is pretty easy. So if they win this game, are they almost in the playoff? Because you could lose. I, I would imagine how that ACC game gets played would be a big thing. You lose 42 zip to Trevor Lawrence. You're not getting in, but uh, you know, we're, we're not swimming in candidates here. Um, <laughs> no, we're, not. we're not now. Maybe, Cle- maybe Cincinnati is undefeated at the end of the year and Ohio state. And you would put Clemson and Alabama, but you know, everyone's got to walk and we don't know what the PAC 12 could do. We're not swimming in a ton of candidates. So I would not just say, hey, Notre Dame wins. They got the inside track on the playoff. But it would certainly be a big deal if they if they squeak this out. DJ has two picks and plays like a a, a true freshman or what, you know, that kind of guy. And then in comes Trevor and he mops you with, you know, smacks you around. Yeah, but certainly that there's huge playoff implications, even though this is going to be a rematch game. I in the dash this week I kind of ranked the likelihood of potential fourth place playoff teams. Although last week I was on, on overreaction Monday I was advocating for a three team playoff, but since they're not going to listen to me and we're going to have a four team playoff, I think the loser of this game is absolutely still viable. Depending, obviously, as, as Dan alluded to, how the game goes and then how a theoretical second matchup would uh, would play out. You know, they they they, they have to be close competitive games. For, for the loser or losers, you know, if they both end up, if the winner of this game loses the, the a rematch and they're both sitting there with one loss, I think they both have a heck of a chance. Um, if, if Notre Dame loses them both, they, they probably wouldn't, especially if there's an undefeated Cincinnati out there, but there will still be some power five bias in favor of those teams over Cincinnati. I think if it, if, and when it comes to all that, but you know, you've also you got a one-loss Texas A&M hanging around out there. Potentially, uh, how would a, a one-loss or two-loss Notre Dame compare to them? Uh, there's a lot of scenarios to play out there, but I, I do think the loser of this game doesn't walk away saying, "Oh no, our season's ruined." All right, well, let's get to a true elimination game: cocktail party, Jacksonville. Always a good party scene. We got a pandemic, so maybe it'll be toned down, but. Quite honestly, knowing these two fan bases, I'm thinking not a whole lot. Maybe a little <laughs> bit of social distancing as you all get trashed on the landing down there. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be uh, to be determined. Georgia, 4-1 and one in conference, 4-1. and one, I guess that's all you are, 4-1. and one. Florida, 3-1. and one. Loser, go home. Uh, winner is going to have the driver's seat for a game against Alabama. Uh, Georgia would be a rematch. Florida would be their first crack. Awesome game, always. Very interesting game here because I think Dan Mullen's got his program kind of up where you want it, and it's ready to get the Gators back into that top pecking of of the SEC. Right now it's Alabama, Georgia, and, and LSU, even though they're having a horrible year. And then you kind of get Florida. This would be the way to get in there. So you got to start playing in Atlanta. At the end of the year, you got to start getting in these games. So there's a lot there for Florida. Obviously, Georgia's got – uh, desperately wants to get back to a uh, to a title rematch with uh, with Alabama and and still has playoff hopes. Both of these teams would have playoff hopes. Thoughts on this one? Uh, I'll start with Pete this time. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it, you know it, first of all, I guess my my general thought is it, it like really feels good again uh, for another year to have the cocktail party really be a bellwether for stuff that's going to happen both in the SEC and, and nationally, right? Like there were some uneven years of Florida, there were some uneven years of Georgia before that. I guess my first and dominating thought is I'm I'm excited to have uh i'm excited to have the cocktail party just a a huge piece of the calendar uh again i I think florida's gonna win this game i really feel like florida's defense isn't great but here's the thing about georgia right now with setson bennett 
they've they've regressed as the year has gone on. They have they have not gotten better. Will we see JT Daniels? Will we not? Like it, it, that's that's going to be like the fascinating subplot. Or will we see Carson back for crying out loud? Right? Like there's sort of been like a a satisfaction to what Kirby Smart to me right now is where Nick Saban was like seven or eight years ago with his program, like perfectly content to go to Lexington and win 14-3 and just sort of play play football that way. Like on the evolutionary scale, like Kirby Smart is still sort of like uh, a few generations or centuries behind, if you want to make the scientific analogy, to where Nick Saban and Alabama have evolved to. Kirby hasn't found his Lane Kiffin to push him forward and therefore – He's content with a game manager, which will probably win you eight games this year in the uh, in the SEC, but is not going to get you where you ultimately want to go and where your fan base thinks you should go. So a lot of good subplots for Georgia. Obviously, Florida, I feel like we'll be back a little bit more whole again. Their defense showed some promise against Pat's Missouri Tigers on uh, on on Saturday, but this is obviously another big stage for 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 Kyle Trask, who I just trust a lot more on, on this stage than I do Stetson Bennett. Yeah, I know. I I mean, I think you you hit on a couple of key points there. For one, Florida's defense is getting better, and I think Todd Grantham can be exposed by a good quarterback and Georgia doesn't have a good quarterback. So the stuff that he dials up could cause a lot of problems for Stetson Bennett. Here's since halftime against Alabama, here's Stetson Bennett's stat line. 15 of 33 for 235 yards, zero touchdowns, four interceptions. That is brutal. That is bad. And Kyle Trask is going to outplay him tremendously if he plays like that. Uh, Kadarius Tony's playing really well for Florida running back. That guy's exciting. He's really hard to tackle. I, I do think this just sets up well all around for Florida here. Georgia, I, if they were going to play JT Daniels, we don't know what's going on there. The two mysteries to me for this game are, is, is Dan Mullen losing his mind, which we touched on significantly in the last podcast. And secondly, what's up with JT Daniels? Because you're watching Stetson Bennett play extremely ineffectively. And if you were going to play Daniels against Florida, you sure as heck would have gotten him in the game since he has not played since September 2019 last week to at least get him some snaps. I don't think he must not be ready to go physically or something because there's just no reason for him not to have played at all. And I would think it would be really, really tough to all of a sudden say, hey, kid, you haven't played in 14 months. Get in there against Florida and save us. So I think they are ride or die with Stetson Bennett, and I think this is a die situation. Real quick, Pat, just to piggyback there, Georgia played at Kentucky last weekend without George Pickens, its best offensive player, and without Jordan Davis, the nose tackle, its best defensive player. Kirby Smart is hopeful to have them back, but it's not its not 100%. Uh, Jordan Davis sounds a little more likely than Pickens. Pickens is going to get down to pain tolerance. So if you're looking for things to watch in the cocktail party on Saturday, those are obviously two huge, huge personnel pieces for Georgia. I mean, they scored 14 with Stetson Bennett last week against Kentucky. I mean, it's uh, this this game to me is going to be a well. We'll see how what what happens, but it it could very well boil down to the Stetson Bennett, not just ride or die, but prove it, kid moment. And and if this goes bad the way it did in the second half of the Alabama game, you know, I think dog fans have a reason to question Kirby Smart and why we stuck with this quarterback. Great story. Everybody likes him, but is he elite enough to beat the great teams? And Florida could be that great team. So, you know, one of the things I love about this game is, you know, it just just defines programs. And, like, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a, a spinning top. And, like, whatever comes out one way goes soaring up and the other way goes down. Like, <laughs> There's no survive. It's like tornado or something. I don't know. So survive in the cocktail party. You don't just lose and go, ah, lost next. Like it, it just means so much. And little things mean a lot, right? Remember when the, you know, Georgia, they didn't have enough passion and they all celebrate. Everything just gets magnified in this game. It's just yeah. such a great game. And so Pat, were you at the cocktail party where Urban Meyer called the timeout? at the end to rub it in because Georgia had over celebrated. I was not, but I remember that. Yeah. Like, yeah, was that, that yeah. was, was it that same game or was it the year before when Georgia sent everybody to the end zone when they scored the first touchdown? I, I forget. I think it was the next year, but it could have been the same game. I do remember I was at the game when Georgia sent everybody to the end zone. Um, 
Yeah. So that was a uh, yeah. There's been some there's been some fun moments that uh, that that linger for uh, that linger yeah. for a while. And and Urban had some like hilarious answer after about like why he took the time out. He's like, I didn't have the right personnel on the field or something like that. <laughs> Completely not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got to yes. rub it in. That's the cause. That's, that's just what it's yeah. about. Huh? All right. Well, somebody's yeah. going to lose that game and have a bad week. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to have as bad a week as this guy. Vladimir Muragov. Do you know Vladimir? He's a Russian oligarch. He's better known as the Sausage King. <laughs> the Russian Sausage King. Yeah, he had a bad week because here's the headline on the BBC.com. Russian Sausage King killed in sauna with a crossbow. <laughs> now, it's our bad, sympathies bad to, to his go. family. Yeah. Great headline. Well, yeah, that's an attention grabber. A lot of questions there. I mean, like, is he Abe Froman? Well, I give a little bit. Sausage King of Chicago? You know, what? what <laughs> what is his Sausage King claim to fame there? It's all Sausage Kings, apparently, because the Sausage King of Chicago is just Chicago. That's true. This guy, true. the Russian oligarch, just claims it all. He, <laughs> he and his uh, partner, a woman, were just enjoying their time in the sauna. Mm-hmm. We don't know how how much enjoyment. Yeah. But they were in a sauna, and two masked assailants showed up and uh, crossbowed them. <laughs> Unbelievable! And she escaped. Like, what the hell, Russia? You killing people with crossbows? <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I have I have so many questions here. Where, <laughs> where, where's the sauna? Like, is it a public outdoor. sauna? Okay. Outdoor sauna cabin. So the guy is probably okay. like in shorts or even a bathing suit. He can't run outside because it's always cold in Russia, right? Never gets warm. Always, always. Yeah. So he, he basically a sitting duck. Yeah. And uh, yeah, boom. Guys, two guys show up with crossbows and just whack you. Some savage <laughs> stuff in Russia. It is. That's man, kind of that's a great thing. way to go. I mean, we're all going to have to go somewhere. <laughs> if you're going to go via crossbow in a sauna, after you've become an oligarch via sausage, that's kind of legendary. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not advocating for death in any way, but boy, that's a pretty good story. You know, I don't you're think in the it's afterlife. a good way to go. How'd man? you get it? I'm sorry. <laughs> you're relaxed. I don't think you're it's a loose. good way to go. Muscles are loose. <laughs> getting a good sweat out. Yeah. Reading the reading the Moscow Times. <laughs> Russia is just nuts. His son uh, died last year in a motorcycle accident. I'm sure that wasn't really an accident. Uh, <laughs> I mean, funny. crazy. I mean, Man, is there yeah, is there so much? I know you can make a lot of money in like the food industry, but th- are they eating that much sausage that you can become an <laughs> oligarch? Like, do you like a bill? Like, what is, what is? How do you become an oligarch? Is there is there like a, <laughs> a standard like a billionaire? Like, once you get over the, I'm a billionaire. Tough deal with it. Or is there like? Does they, they knight you? Does Putin give you a knighting? I, I want to be an oligarch. There's a formula like the old BCS. It's like the Massey Index. <laughs> <laughs> the oligarch index. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm an oligarch. Sausage consumption times bank account times. Uh, yeah. I don't, How much I don't know sausage the are they eating? Are. How much sausage yeah. are they eating in Russia? I was in Russia. I didn't remember any sausage. Didn't seem like it was a big thing there. I love kielbasa. I don't know. I, get, get me over there. Uh, Russia's looking for a new sausage king. So you, any of you Wisconsin guys who got nothing to do, <laughs> maybe, yeah, right. I mean, consider it. I'm not. You want to relocate over there? The only, the only, yeah, the only detriment to the job is they may crossbow you in a sauna. I mean, like if you're a rich person in Russia, you just got to be waiting at all times to get, have some sort of terrible macabre murder, you know? I mean, it's just the, the stuff that happened, the, the poisonings and, you know, disappearances and all kinds of stuff. Head on a swivel, boys. Head on a swivel, <laughs> even when you're in the sauna with your lady friend. Uh, all right, Pac-12's playing this week. We did preview this league in the summer. If you go back in the summer, you can find our preseason thing. We're not going to do the whole league right now because, sorry, you showed up too late. <laughs> Be on time next time. <laughs> Can't be on time. Be early, Pac-12. That's right. So you lose. Well, they the are s- going to be early this week, Dan. Well, that's right. They're <laughs> playing at nine a.m. Eastern. Uh, nine a.m. Their time. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. game is that? Nine a.m. Pacific. USC. That's Arizona State. Oh, that is USC. USC. Big game. It's no crazier than anything else going on. The good thing about playing that early is you probably don't have any time to test positive that day, so you'll get the game in. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid move is wait all day because someone will stick something up your nose, and next thing you know. 
let's talk Arizona State USC though. This will could this will be our our uh, preview of the Pac-12. Arizona State has made some strides under Herm Edwards. QB uh, Jaden Daniels very good last year, very promising I would say. USC Clay Helton obviously a ton of pressure on him always. Uh, they got some uh, opt outs. Got Slovis at QB. They still have uh, some really good uh, wideouts and stuff like that. Uh, thoughts on this one and what it means for each program, maybe more than who will actually win. Pete, you want to start? Yeah, uh, what an opportunity for Arizona State. I, I think Jaden Daniels is one of the five best underclassmen quarterbacks in in the country, and and what a stage to break out on. Let's not forget USC lost five games last season. Like no, no one's sins are erased more by an offseason of like random recruiting wins more than more than USC's. Clay Helton has pretty much run off every single person in the program to the point where like a, a, another bad season would mean it's actually his fault this time. Todd Orlando is in as the the new DC from Texas. Craig Niver, the safeties coach, came with To from uh, from there. They were uh, they were able to keep Graham Harrell as the OC for another year. Keaton Slovis. Obviously, really another promising young quarterback, too. Big game for a lot of reasons. Arizona State certainly can can win this game now. They, they're young at tailback. They're going to be young at receiver. They're, they're in, they lost Danny Gonzalez, their defensive coordinator, to, to New Mexico. So I don't have conviction on this game because there's, there's too many question marks on the rest of Arizona State's roster. But I would certainly not be surprised if, uh, if, if Arizona State ended up winning. And it would certainly give them an opportunity with, with the South really wide open in, in the Pac-12. Colorado stinks. They don't have a quarterback. UCLA hasn't shown a pulse under chip. Utah lost its whole defense. So, I mean, it's all there for the taking for Arizona State. This could be Herm's moment. Herm could have his pre-brunch moment on Saturday. Oh, I agree that uh, the, the South is wide open, but I think it's USC that's ready to step into there. Um, USC, Utah not only lost its whole defense, but also lost its starting quarterback and lost the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, Zach Moss, at running back. I just don't see them being able to reload. These are the two best teams in the South playing each other here. I just, look, yes, USC always gets overvalued. There's no doubt about that. They get the same bump that Michigan gets, that Texas gets, that Notre Dame often gets coming into a season. But Keaton Slovis is really good. Now, Jaden Daniels is really good too, but I think Keaton Slovis might be better. And his receivers are outstanding. St. Brown and Vaughn's. They're going to be able to throw that ball around, and I, they should be able to run it fairly well too. I, and I just look, I, I see Jaden Daniels surrounded by not much. I mean, they got no returning experience at quarterback. They've got Frank Darby at receiver, but he's the only one and he's okay. I mean, he's a pretty good player. So in terms of, of weaponry, USC's got the better of it. Now, do they, can they go on the field and actually prove it? We'll see. I think the, the coaching change defensive coordinator there to uh, Todd Orlando on defense uh, should make them a, a better defensive unit. That was a very bad defense last year. And I think the offense is going to be explosive. So I like USC in the game and I like USC in the South and I like Cal in the north, believe it or not, of the Pac-12. Uh, in terms of weaponry, Pat, are you saying Arizona State doesn't have any crossbows? Is that what you're saying? Their weaponry is not. Is, they do not have. They I'm could looking not, at the roster. They could not assassinate yeah. a sausage king. Is that not in their? Uh, is that not in their repertoire? No, I think they can give the sausage king a, a stern talking to, but I don't think they could assassinate. Him. <laughs> I okay. will stick with Oregon in the north. Cal sounds like one of Pat's uh, Illinois hype jobs. <laughs> Cal's that kind of the be. Illinois of the Pac-12, right? Yeah, they're better than that. Come on, I don't yeah. know. Should Aaron be Rogers good. Rolled through there. Yeah, I give. Yeah, they're uh, Illinois. Pretty, pretty flotsamy and jetsamy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we're done with the Pac-12, uh, make your picks on who you think will win this league, and will they be a playoff team? So essentially, will they make it through undefeated? Uh, Pat, you're talking Cal. Does that mean the whole thing or just the North? Cal to win the North, USC to win the South, USC to win the conference. Uh, but no, there will there will be some blood. There will be some losses all around. And so USC, while winning the conference, it will not present an overly compelling playoff uh, resume, I don't believe. The last undefeated Pac-12 champion was, I believe, Oregon in 2010. 
Buttigieg obviously went on under Chip Kelly to lose to Auburn in that uh, in that in that Michael Dyer uh, spin run on the in, the in the title game there. From that point on, all of the other Pac-12 champions that I can see here have had multiple losses. So, to answer the the playoff question, is there is no way the Pac-12 is getting in the playoff. Uh, they have no margin for error, and nobody is exponentially better than anyone else. So I really feel like the Pac-12 will be sort of the muddled mess we know it and love it as. I'm going to take the Ducks because I think the Ducks have the most talent. Uh, they obviously have a new quarterback. I don't have superb conviction on that, but I think the Pac-12 will be wondrously wide open. But uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to stick with Crystal Ball and the boys. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to overthink the Ducks. I think they got the best team, the best talent, uh, best pro- you know, best program going. And I think that's enough to get past Washington and Utah and all that. Uh, you know, to shake it up, I'm going to take Arizona State to win the South. I'll take Oregon to win it. I don't think they escape uh, unscathed, so I don't think there'll be a playoff team out there. Uh, okay. And you should listen to me because I went four and two last week and race for the case. <laughs> and still like 17 miles behind the rest of us. But keep going. Not really? Two games behind Sully, and that's not even counting the fat bear pick, which you guys are robbing me of. <laughs> so uh, I was happy to gain on Nad. Nad had been on a tear, so I was happy to get a little get a little back on him. I got an email from a reader about me chasing Nad, and if, if, if I'm sorry, a listener, and it felt good. Yeah, well, keep chasing. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going to catch him. Uh, okay. All right, but here's our picks. Huge game here. We can get to it earlier, but this is one of my favorite rivalries in college football that gets zero attention. They've had a bunch of epic games. And this Friday, it's a knockout game to make a bid for the playoff. Because if one of these two teams goes undefeated, they got a shot. BYU, number nine, at number 21, Boise State. On the blue, Cougs are giving two and a half. It's 945 on Friday night. Love it. If you're in the East, it's right when the buzz really starts kicking in. <laughs> Good way to kill a Friday night watching BYU, Boise. Uh, Boise State, since 2001, has been the favorite in 121, 122 home games. So how about that? Not normally a home dog, but here they are getting two and a half. So, Pat Forty, who you got? Uh, it's a great game. Can't wait to watch this. Uh, love to see a good game on the blue and love to have a West Coast game that is will matter. Uh, and it's on a Friday night. So a lot to love here. I'm taking BYU. Just been super impressed with how they've played. Boise's played well, too, but we don't know for sure who the quarterback is going to be. Now, they, they both played well, but they played Hank Bachmeyer the first week and then he was out the second week. You know, they didn't really say why. Might be COVID. Jack Sears, USC transfer, stepped in and played extremely well, but this is a new level challenge. And Zach Wilson will be the best quarterback on the field for the Cougs. Uh, I'm going to take BYU to win and cover the small number. I have been told to not expect Hank Bachmeyer in this game. So I will uh, I will take BYU with Zach Wilson. I also think like uh, I was talking to a scout this week and BYU has like a great offensive line. They have one NFL prospect at receiver. Now they don't have Matt Bushman, their tight end, who's going to be a really, really good NFL player. He was their considered their best piece. But for for NFL fans or maybe casual fans who listen to the podcast like Zach Wilson, I, Eric Edholm had him number six in his latest mock draft like. Nobody has helped themselves more this COVID season than uh, than Zach Wilson. He is an absolute blast to watch play college football. He has a little bit of that Manzellian improv. He's got a really good arm. He's accurate. There's a there's just he's maybe the most fun player in college football this year. So I'm fired up to watch him on uh, on on Friday night on the uh, on the blue, and I'm taking the Cougs. I'm with you. I'm riding the Cougs and Zach Wilson. Let's ride. Yeah, Wilson's playing phenomenal. It's tough up there at Boise, but uh, not sure what, you know, it's not the typical crowd, but I will go, man, picking against Boise on the blue at night on a Friday night. Geez, seems dumb, but (laughs) Zach Wilson will do it. So I'm going to take BYU in that one, Uh, although I'm a little little fearful. Uh, All right, Saturday noon, number 23, Michigan, which is ranked for reasons no one would know, uh, versus number 13, Indiana. Michigan is a two and a half is giving two and a half uh, game is in Bloomington fourth ever meeting between the two where they're both ranked 
Michigan has won all but one since 1987. Or actually, they've won 30. They've won every game since 1987. They've won 39 last 40 meetings between the Hoosiers and the Wolverines. Indiana, it would be an unbelievable story if they could take down Penn State and Michigan early and get the three and out. You know, I think when they got their schedule, they were like, hello, one and two. Well, not nah, there they go. So, Pete, you're first this time. Who you got? I am. Uh, I'm taking the mighty Hoosiers. And I will say this, like what a scene it would have been in Bloomington this weekend if they if they if there were fans. Right. I mean, you're talking about a generational game and moment. Michigan comes as an underdog. You have all the momentum. Harbaugh's on the ropes. Like, like I mean, it's just it would have just been one of those magical environments. Uh, I, I mean, it might have been the biggest home game in modern Indiana football history. So bummed that the buzz won't be there and the many buzzes that would have been in the crowd, but still cool moment for Indiana. And uh, I think they are they are just the more solid team and program right now. And they'll they'll win this game. It would have been such a big game that the Indiana fans would actually leave the tailgates and go into the stadium. That's how big it would have been. They're, they are the most apathetic f- football fans going just about when it comes to actually getting in the stadium and creating an atmosphere. But for this one, they would have. However, that's not going to be a factor. Still, I like the Hoosiers here. Um, I just, I they've they've got two good wins. I mean, going to Rutgers, I, yes, it's Rutgers, but Rutgers is a better team. And they they handled Rutgers. They handled them fine. They beat Penn State. I see nothing about Michigan that makes me say, oh, wow, yeah, that, that that's a good team. I mean, they're okay. They're fine. But I think Indiana, as Pete said, more solid. They, they've got playmakers. Uh, they can run it. They can throw it. Their defense is better than has been advertised, I think, or, or re- respected. And uh, they'll have enough to, to give Joe Milton some trouble, and the Hoosiers will win and cover. Oh, man, you guys are going to make me pick Michigan. Uh, it, I, I, was, I had all this speech ready. Indiana's had five takeaways. Their defense is much better, but we can't go two straight games going chalk. So uh, I'm, I'm going to pick Michigan. thought I was going to be the lone Wolverine on this. I think Michigan is absolutely humiliated after last week. And whatever lack of fire they had against the Spartans will be will be taken out on Indiana. I think Michigan's going to play a pretty good game. I think they're the better team. And as we have said throughout, Harbaugh rarely loses two teams he is he has better talent on. Uh, he did last week, but I think that changes this week. Uh, they have better players in Indiana, uh, so I'm going to take Michigan State, uh, Michigan, even though they are giving giving two and a half. All right, we have talked about these next three games, so let's just give a pick. Arizona State at number 20, USC. Game is noon on Fox in the East, 9 a.m. Bagels, bagels and breakfast, whatever. What do the, they call that thing in Wimbledon? Cream <laughs> strawberries and, uh, strawberry and cream. Uh, yeah, strawberries and cream for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Breakfast is Wilmington. Trojans are giving 10 and a half. ASU is a five and two as a road dog under Herm Edwards, though. Yeah. I like USC to win the game, but give me that half point. I like ASU to cover. Um, I think the the breakfast in Tempe would involve tequila. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the Sun Devils. This game last year was Keaton Slovis's coming out party. This is gonna be Jane Daniels coming out party. He's gonna he's gonna match the f- 466 yards that the Sun Devils put up on the Trojans last year. Let's let's go, Sparky. So if you recall uh, when uh, uh, Aunt Becky from the show and her daughters that she. She's now in prison because she was trying to fix it. Yeah. Fix their SATs. The the one of them uh she was worried was going to go to Arizona State. That's she right. She could only get in Arizona <laughs> State. Right. And she famously said on the wiretap or some email, don't do that. I'll pay so you can go to USC. I will literally break the law and now serve time. She's in the big house. <laughs> Not the empty one that Mel Tucker won in. An absolute slap in the face of Arizona State. Like, my mom was so disappointed and I might go to your school (laughs) that she is willing to go to prison just so I don't. And I think Arizona State's not going to take that lightly. (laughs) I think this is the Aunt Becky revenge game. Herm Edwards is a motivational tour to force. You ever talk to that guy? He gets you fired up, and I think he's going to use this. So that's what I think. Sun Devils. I hope Lori Laughlin's watching. I hope they get at the TV in the in the common room at whatever clink she's in. She can watch her beloved Trojans take it. 
There's the analysis of a man who's in last place in the picks. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's entertaining. It was factor. way better than our analysis, Pat. Yeah, yours is boring. <laughs> well, I'm trying I, to keep. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to say it was wasn't fun to listen to. This podcast is sleepier than a 9 a.m. kick. I mean, <laughs> all right. Cocktail party, Georgia, UF. Dogs are given three and a half games at 3.30 on CBS. As always, a bike accident took out uh, Georgia's defensive starting uh, DB, Richard LeCount. I'm going to take Florida. I, I trust their defense only because of Stetson Bennett's limitations. And uh, I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a close game. I think it's going to be – there will be – haymakers thrown although not the actual ones that we saw in the missouri florida game but i uh i i trust the uh i trust the gators here and and kyle trask and their dynamic skill which is better than georgia's dynamic skill yeah i hate to say it pete because i think we've agreed on every pick but i'm with you i think the gators uh pull the mild upset here uh stetson bennett not as good as kyle trask Kadarius tony really good uh i like the gators yeah, Bama showed us elite offense is going to beat elite defense earlier this year, and I think Florida's uh, offense is just as potent as Alabama's. Kyle Pitts quietly led his team in targets and yards last week, didn't get into the end zone. Not going to score six touchdowns like I've said previously, but he'll hit the paint. Give me the give me the Florida Gators. Uh, sticking with Gators, too. Trask better than Bennett. Law firm, got to prove it to me. So I'll take uh, Gators, especially if I'm getting three and a half. All right, Clemson, Notre Dame. Clemson is giving five and a half, 7.30 Saturday night uh, on NBC. This season, Clemson is two and five against the spread. They played seven games? Yeah. Wow. How about that? Seven games. They're putting in work while the Pac-12 is out there snoozing. <laughs> That's why they get the early wake-up call. Yeah, good job, Clemson. I'm going to take the Irish. I really feel like Clemson not only played poorly for a long stretch against BC, but they also did against a dreadful Syracuse team the week before. And yeah, we don't know all of their injury updates and everything like that, but this is a, this is a, a roster that's been weakened a little bit. And I think Notre Dame has the advantage on both lines, which is rare. You say that against Clemson. Now they have real Clemson has real dudes on the D line, but they're young. So I think Notre Dame and Ian book, figure out a way, and they win a low-scoring game. Uh, I'll agree with you on the low-scoring part, but I'm taking Clemson here. Just more talent. DJ Uyunglele, uh, is he, he's not going to you know go for 400 yards and five touchdowns in this game, but he's going to be good enough. He can make some plays with his legs and with his arm. And they have the best player on the field in Travis Etienne. So Clemson gets the advantage there. Venables will find enough, plenty of ways to uh, harass uh, Ian Book and the Irish don't have the weapons as we discussed to stretch the field so I'm going to take Clemson to win by a touchdown. I'm with you I'm taking the Tigers until proven otherwise uh, give me give me Clemson. Well you've been proven otherwise because they're 2-5 and five against the spread. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> hey Notre Dame's 2-4 and four against the spread. But uh, all right. I'm taking the Irish. I think Clemson wins I think this is one of those classic Notre Dame games. It's a two-point game, and Ian Book's leading them down the end, and ETN has gashed them for a couple TDs, but they're in it, and it, here we go, shake down the thunder, and it doesn't happen. So I like Clemson to win the game, but I will take that five and a half uh, for, for Notre Dame. All right, a lock of the week. Sully, you got your lock already typed in here. What do you got? Uh, I'm. I, it worked earlier this season uh, in the Battle of the Service Academies. I'm going back to it. Give me the under in Army Air Force. Uh, I think it's at 41 or 42, hanging around there. We'll, we'll just say 41 just to lock it in. And it's got an 80% win rate the under between service academies, so I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I've learned my lesson to stop picking bad teams to cover big spreads and start picking good teams <laughs> to cover. It's more sizable spreads, so I am taking Cincinnati, giving 13.5 to Houston. Bearcats have got the offense together. It took them a few weeks, but the last two games, they have really clicked on that side of the ball, and they're going to be playing with the foot on the pedal hard the whole game because they know that they are now in a playoff contention situation, so style points will matter. Uh, it's Bearcats to cover over Houston. It's a good pick. Heaven help us of taking Michigan State. I think that mm. they are uh, Rocky Lombardi and the Spartans are pretty good. That that it was the seven turnovers that ruined the Rutgers game. I thought they were horrible, but seven turnovers will do it to you. Not going to win a lot. You turn the ball over seven times. They are also getting a touchdown at Iowa. 
I, I don't think Iowa's all that good. I think Michigan State has got a little roll going. Now, in the past, Michigan State has beaten Michigan, partied the entire week, and dogged out and blew their whole seat. Like, this is the DNA of the Spartans. So I'm hoping that the COVID kept them out of the bars of East Lansing, out of the frat parties, <laughs> and we have a new mentality under Coach Mel Tucker. And Michigan State's going to build on this and beat Iowa, or at least come within seven. So that's my lock of the week. Pete, you get the last one. I'm going to take Louisiana Tech at North Texas. North Texas has been dreadful and can't stop anybody. North Texas is a two-point favorite. I feel like Louisiana Tech uh, went whole has been uh, has been very good, and uh, I think they can roll into Denton and win handily. And I like that I get I get a a bonus point just in case uh, the Mean Green go by one. But I uh, that that to me on the board uh, that line jumped out at me. Why is North Texas favored? I, I don't understand that. Hey, Louisiana Tech has lost a couple bad games, but yeah, no, it, it, it I, I'm I'm surprised the same way uh, the same way you are, Pat, which is. Uh, which is why this ends up being my uh, being my lock of the week. They uh, Louisiana Tech beat UAB last week in a huge game, but they've lost on the road to UTSA. They've obviously lost to Marshall. They got thumped by BYU, but they've kind of taken care of business against the teams they should. So, all right, well, it's going to be a good weekend. Really looking forward to a great game Friday night. Great game Saturday. Uh, this is what we're looking at: college football, baby. Everyone's back. Welcome. Uh, we'll be back to overreact to it all on Monday, sometimes late Sunday. Sully's been kicking ass and getting this thing out soon. Uh, we'll make fun of each other's picks, and I'll be 6-0, so I'll be gloating. Uh, <laughs> please subscribe. Please leave us a nice review. Do not leave us a bad review. We don't like you. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say it. Share us on social media. Tell your friends. Play us on the way to your tailgate. Whatever you got. We need help. Uh, we're counting on you. Talk to you all later.